Good morning, church. Welcome. So glad to see you. So glad you are here. It is good to be here in the house of the Lord. Here at this church, we prioritize many things. One of them, and certainly not the least of them, is the Word of God. It is the light unto our path, right? So let's go to the Word. Psalm 19, 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much more, much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us, for your word, our rock our foundation. Lord God, I ask that you would bless this service, every part of it, that each heart would draw close to you, that you would speak to each one of us, Lord God. Teach us, Lord. Father God, I would be remiss in not lifting up Israel and the things they're going through, the news I saw this morning. Lord God, send a protection over there. Bring... your hand guide, Lord. Your, your hand guide hearts, minds, and souls, Lord God. Save souls. Father God, we love you, Lord. May we lift our hearts in praise to you, in worship to you, and in our love and adoration to you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's worship. Find 
in your worship this morning.
We are going to just take a few minutes and pray. Um, First, we're praying for peace in Israel and just weighing heavy on so many hearts. And so would you just join me, Lord, just we come before you. Lord God, I pray for Israel, Lord. I pray for peace. Lord God, I pray that um, this must just be breaking your heart, Lord God, that you would break ours, Lord God, that as, as we see this need and as we see what's going on, that we would just be a people who pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who pursue you and pursue um, your power, Lord God, so we just pray right now. We don't even, I don't even have the words. I don't even know what to say, except, Lord, I pray that you would just do a work, Lord God, that your power would be manifest, that miracles would happen. And, Lord God, that we would just be people who come together, Lord. Lord God, for there is none like you. For who can compare to our God? You who look down from the heavens. Your word says you stoop down to look on the heavens and the earth. You who see us, who lift us from the dust. You who raises us up from the ashes and sets our feet on a rock. Lord, I pray that for somebody that needs that today. Lord, you are good and you are Father. Lord Jesus, today, We just speak your name all over this place, Lord. Lord God, we speak your name over each other, over our families, when we don't have the words, when we're tired of saying the same thing. We just speak your name over marriages, over this community, over our children, over our problems that seem like they are mountains in front of us. We speak your name over strongholds and addictions. And when we have no answers and no way out, we speak your name. For your name is power. Jesus, in spite of the fear that we feel and the anger we hold on to and the things that we feel like we can't break free from, when our feelings are telling us that nothing will change, or too much is changing, or we won't ever overcome. We speak your name, and we know that there is freedom in your name. Lord, I pray for each one here. You see where they're at. You know what they're facing. You know what they need and what they desire. You know that hope that has fallen to the ground that they feel like they can never get back again. I pray a release right now in this body, that they would know that they can rest in their arms, that you are in control, that you are holding them. You are a loving Father. I pray even as we are walking through these hard things, that your joy would be life to us again. I pray that you would be magnified and glorified in us and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen going to take a moment and greet somebody and meet somebody that you don't know very well.
Good morning again. It's nice to see you all. If you're joining us online, it's good to have you with us as well. I'm going to go through some announcements. And the reason we go through announcements is not just to talk and talk and talk. is because we want you to feel welcome. We want you to be part of this community. We want you in, to invite you into the things that are happening. Um, so feel make this feel like a big welcome instead of just a lot of information. Um, if you are new to us, if this is one of your first weeks and you haven't filled out a connection card, if you haven't scanned that QR code to let us know that you're here and who you are, we would love for you to do that. Um, if you fill out a connection card, there is, will be someone waiting for you in the information center after service, and there's a gift for you if this is one of your first times here. Um, so if it is, we hope you feel very welcome as well. This afternoon, youth and Awana are meeting at 4 o'clock. So if you have kids anywhere from preschool through high school, there is a place for them at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and we would love to see you there. The younger ones, K, uh, preschool through 6th grade, are here, and the teens are up in the family, family fellowship Center. Also happening this week, this Saturday, work day that we've been talking about. So we're going to do some heavy lifting, throwing into dumpsters um, that will be clearly marked for you. So mostly you just have to pick up stuff and throw it in a dumpster. So over at the Family Fellowship Center at 8 o'clock, there will be breakfast and coffee. 8.30, um, work will begin. So hopefully that's already on your calendar and you can join that group up across the parking lot this Saturday. And to put on your calendar coming up next month, Operation Kid to, uh, Operation I say Operation Kid to Kid because that's for Vacation Bible School. So Operation Christmas Child, um, because we are preparing for that. So November 12th, right after service, we will be packing boxes as a congregation. So plan to invite someone. That's a fun activity to do with your friends. So invite them to church that Sunday. Um, Plan to be part of that event and as you plan for yourself maybe to be packing boxes we will you'll be seeing over the next few weeks we'll have boxes out for you to pack as well um, and if you would like to donate to purchase the things that we will be purchasing to put in the boxes you can do that online as well market operation christmas child but mostly put it on your calendar so you can plan to join us and finally, we're going to take a few minutes and talk about the vault. If you don't know about the vault, you're going to learn about the vault. Um, and we're going to invite you to become part of that. So watch this video, and then we're going to hear from Pastor Jason.
what is left of all? I mean, free pizza, free video games. But I would say the main reason I go there is because I get to be myself. And uh, a lot of my friends go, and it, I just have a great time when I'm there. On. Thank you for so much for your, a little bit of your attention this morning. The Vault is a ministry of our church. It's a, um, that has a location da- uh, storefront location down in uh, downtown Washington. Brian is the leader of. Our, could you give it up for Brian? Brian's the leader of our of the Vault. Uh, Brian. Brian leads this, leads the volunteers who help orchestrate the vault. It's all volunteer. Brian's a volunteer. Um, it's an outreach that we've had for several years that meets, uh, with, intends to meet the needs of young, of middle school and high school students in Washington. Brian, what's the number one prayer that you have for the vault? My prayer is always just... Let me turn your mic. There you go. That helps. Uh, my prayer is just for the uh, the students, the teens that get to come into the vault. We, we get to be there a couple days a week for them, but I hope they realize uh, that there is a God who loves them and that there are a group of people in this town who continue to support them. Uh, you know, we never know the situations that they're going through at home, but we can provide a uh, safe place for them to be and uh, just that that would continue to be there for them. Yeah. So you didn't get, it wasn't really easy to read on the video, but those emails that are are posted on that video at the end are emails from parents of students who go to the vault thanking Brian and thanking the church for creating a safe place for students to be after school. And um, so Brian and his volunteers lead that. ranges kind of yearly on the number of days uh, that it would be open each week. But we're, uh, in order for the vault to stay open, we need your help. Uh, the vault has a monthly budget of about $1,500. Uh, $1, that provides rent and utilities and snacks and pizza um, and all the other things that we need in order for the vault to, to do that. And right now, we're running on a deficit of about, uh, we, 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 we take in about $800 of support for the vault. And so so uh, we're asking for very specific uh, help today to help us keep the vault open uh, as a keep a, the vault. And we don't typically get up and say we need your help. We typically get up and we talk about how your generosity and your faithfulness contributes to the to the ministries and the outreach and the missions that we do. But today we, we just want to be very honest in order for the vault to stay open. We need about tw- uh, we need about 20 families to commit to $10 a week or $40 a month or somehow in that to help us continue to sustain that, to let that be an outreach into the community. We've seen students uh, who came to the vault become baptized. We've seen students and families become part of their church, this church because of the vault, and uh, it's something we are passionate about wanting to continue, but we need, uh, this is a church-wide vision, and so we'd love for you to participate in that. Okay, so great. So maybe you're on board. How do you do that? After church today, over in the cafe, there's a big board. You can all see it through the window right now. It says, help uh, unlock, help us unlock the vault or keep the vault unlocked. You can take one of those cards. On the back is a QR code. Brian will be there. He'll, he'll be doing jumping jacks. Maybe not. <laughs> Uh, Maybe not jumping jacks, but Brian will be there. Uh, Joy will be there. There'll be some people who can walk you through how to set that up. We encourage you to take the QR code, the, 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 
card, one of the cards off the board to let us know, because there's 20 cards there. If we got all those cards to be empty, we'd be there. But on the back, you can scan the QR code you can, and set up a recurring gift in order to do that. Uh, $10 a week, $40 a month, however you want to do that. If you wanted to give more than that, you're allowed. But we're, 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 to be honest with you, as the pastor of the church, it's, it's more enjoyable for me to see 20 families commit to a sustaining thing than to see one person come and say, I'll fund it. This is a whole church vision that we have. We prioritize the next generation. And so as a church, we're trying to do this together. So after church, make your way over to that thing, grab a card, take it, and we'll find way, more ways to bless the students in Washington. I, that's just an example of what happens through your generosity here at Faith Discovery Church. There's a number of ways you can give. You can give online. You can give through our app. You can text to give. You can give in, in person in a check. There's giving boxes around. There's a number of ways. We will find ways for you to give because we believe that when you are generous, God opens the, store gate, store, uh, the floodgates of heaven and is generous to all of us. And so that's why we do this, and that's why we get a chance to minister. Brian, thank you so much for the impact that you are on our students. Uh, we're proud of you, we support you, and we believe in the vision of, in your vision and in the vision of the vault. Uh, I think that's all of the announcements and giving that we want to talk about. I encourage you to stand, and let's continue to worship this morning. Over the past few weeks, Jason's been talking about how everybody has a role in this church. And I'm going to say that I've been here since 1989. And I have fought for most of that time to not do what I'm doing right now. I was very comfortable sitting in the back behind somebody else doing the job. When I finally said yes... When I finally gave up the fight, when I finally said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll organize the team. I'll do that work. There was a peace that I cannot explain. When you find yourself in your role, the role you were designed to fulfill, the role that God made you to be, the one he knew from the time you were in the womb, then, then you will find that peace that passes understanding. I'm getting a little overwhelmed. I apologize.
there's no, no, no hurdle that is that you can't conquer, that you will do anything to chase us. And so, God, as we, as we stand here in awe of your presence and in awe of your love, I pray that there would be a real response to your love today. That we would be open to your power working in our lives so that in us and through us we would reflect you in a better way. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed and can make your way to kids' church. And while they're going, you can check this out. morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and it's an honor that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. Every time you say yes to something, you say no to other things. And so for all of you who said yes to church today and no to all of the other options you could have chose, I really appreciate that. And uh, I want to affirm that that was a great decision on your part. Also, for those of you joining us online, thank you for choosing this uh, to be the, the, the web page you're looking at right now. Encourage you to be part, to talk to each other during the, the chat. Join in community with each other. And, uh, church is better when we're together. Uh, church is, uh, one of the things we've seen over the last several years through the pandemic and those kinds of things is, uh, it became harder to come to church. It became harder to be in public. It became harder to be around people. And as we've, uh, kind of reestablished what, uh, what society is, one of the, the things, the lasting effects of that kind of thing has been the effect of, of, of loneliness on people. And so when we come together at church, it's vitally important that we come together in community. It's how are we, we we were created to be, and so thank you for choosing that this morning. Past, past couple of weeks, we've been, I've been sharing some personal uh, stories of just happenstance. I've got one more for you this morning. In 1985, uh, the Assemblies of God convention that they have every other year was in San Antonio, Texas. And so, uh, my parents are here today, so they'll attest to this. True, in, in true fashion as to what I grew up in, we drove everywhere we went. And so, uh, we drove to Texas. Fun. And so, we're, we, we get to San Antonio, we're there for a couple of days, and then we're leaving. And we're about an hour outside of, of uh, San Antonio after the convention, and my little brother says to, to those, we're at a restaurant, we're sitting in a booth, and my little bro- brother says to those, the rest of us at the table, that kid's in my class. And... Uh, we, we had just spent a week at a, a minister's convention. They had kids programming, so it wasn't surprising that that kid would be in his class. And so uh, somebody said, from, from, do you know where he's from? And he said, yeah, he's in my class. We're, and so we're like, 
what? He's like, in school, at home, that kid's in my class. Somehow, from Wanakew, New Jersey, that kid's family had gone to Texas about an an hour outside of San Antonio, where we happened to be driving through since we drove everywhere. And they went to dinner at the exact restaurant and were seated in the booth next to us. And out of nowhere, we didn't know this family from our town. Only Todd knew the kid in his class. We meet this tech family from our town in San Antonio, Texas, to have dinner together. That's random and it's chaos. How did that? That's a one in the million story. But that's the kind of thing that happens when... Not necessarily that specific, but that's how God works in our lives. In the random, everyday, mundane things, times of our life, God shows up in incredible ways. You never know where God's going to show up or what he's going to do. Every day we can be expecting God to do something phenomenal because he wants to do something phenomenal in every one of our days. And so on this random day, 2,000 years ago, Paul is going to persecute Christians because that's what he has fun doing. And he's headed to Damascus. He's got some letters that give him permission to persecute the people who are following this new Messiah-ish character named Jesus. And they're following a thing called the way. And Paul's really bothered by it. We've talked a lot about this this last month. And Paul, and, and on this random meaningless Happenstance every day like the rest, uh, like the ones before it, Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus and meets Paul in a, in a, in a way that changes the trajectory of Paul's life. Cause on any given day, God just might do something so incredible that you don't, that you're changed for the rest of your life. And this story we've been reading about it, it's, 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 the account of it is written in Acts chapter nine. It's Luke's account of this. Experience, but today we're going to read a little bit different account of it. We're from Acts 22. This time Luke is, is writing down Paul's defense. This is Paul's version of that story. He's in court. He's defending himself. And this is what he says about the time he met Jesus. Acts 22, starting at verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, and brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Notice, he's talking to Jews and he's using language to bring them together. He's saying, I'm not as different or as weird or as peculiar as you make me out to be. I'm one of us. I was zealous, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way, of, uh, of this way to their death, arresting men and women and throwing them in prison. As the high priest and all of the council that can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them for their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, I came near Damascus. And suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, and they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? he asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all you have been assigned to do. Paul was very aware that this experience had changed his life. In fact, it changed the name he went by. He was Saul. He was, he was common, it was common for him to use his, the Jewish version of his name. He was passionate about Jew, his Jewish ancestry. He was intentional about honoring all the things that could make Israel great again. And then he meets Jesus. And in that moment, everything in his, in his experience changes. His person doesn't change. He's still very committed to what he believes. But now he's committed not to his theories or his way. He's committed to the way of Jesus. And so uh, we've been talking what Paul, what Paul learned in his encounter uh, with Jesus. And we've talked about how learn, Paul uh, learned his passions and his pursuits and his plans. And he learned what peace is. And this morning, I, one final thing that Paul learned in his in, in, encounter with Jesus. And we're going to talk about Paul learned about power when he met Jesus. See, pre-conversion, Paul pursued a personal power. I made it through that without stuttering. This morning, I want to spend some time focused on who Paul was before he met Jesus and, and juxtapose that with who he became after he met him. Saul had been trained as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees believed in many things, and a lot of them didn't necessarily agree on everything. But one of the things they definitely agreed on was the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. It was one of the things that they were identified by uh, amongst the other groups in Israel. And the resurrection was the singular impulse that united them. It drove their agenda. It oriented their activities. It dominated their study. It dominated their teaching. It dominated their praying. They longed for the resurrection, and they prayed for it throughout the day, uh, and they worked for it. Work to try to bring it about. But their idea of the resurrection was very different than what we know, those of us who know about Christianity, those of us who have studied Jesus in any way, those of us who understand that we have a holiday called Easter. It's about the day Jesus was resurrected. For a Pharisee in first century Palestine, the idea of a resurrection was not that a person would raise from the dead. Their concept of the resurrection did not merely, also didn't merely mean that on the great day of the Lord, each righteous individual would be raised from the dead. Now, they believed that, that someday they would all go to heaven. But it, their idea of resurrection, it involved so much more than that. You see, it had to do with the restoration or the resurrection of God's purposes and of God's fulfillment of all the promises he had made to God's people. All the things that had died when Israel uh, became uh, in exile, they believed would be resurrected. And so for them, the idea of resurrection was, the, uh, was a national restorance. They were keenly aware of that the tragedy that God, of the tragedy that God's purposes were not being worked out in the world the way it should be. Have you ever felt that way? 
Have you ever looked at the world and said, this should not be the way it is? Sometimes we look at that in our own lives, right? We see things about ourselves or we see things about our close circle and we, or we see things about our family and we look at it and we say, that's not right. That shouldn't be that way. And sometimes we look at it in a grander scheme, whether it's, uh, sometimes it's in our church, not our church, certainly not this church, but some churches, you can look around and say, this ain't the way it should be. By the way, that was a joke. In our humanity, sometimes we're all difficult to live with each other. And we're a family at this church. And if you know everything, anything about family, it's sometimes family isn't perfect. And we're not perfect. But we're committed to each other. And we're committed to Christ. We're committed to following him together. And so we work through the times when we have issues. But sometimes we look at our, our family and we think it's not right. Sometimes we look at our circle or our church, we think it's not right. Sometimes we look at, I know not, this is none of us, but sometimes we look at our situation at work. And in our place of employment, we look around and we say, this ain't right. Sometimes it's political, it's our country. We look around and we say, this ain't the way it should be. <laughs> They looked around and they realized this was this tragedy that God's purposes were not being worked out in the way it should be. God had intended Israel to be his special possession. God had intended Israel to enjoy his blessing and to be the people on the earth through which his glory was seen. God had a plan for Israel to be set apart and for First century Palestinian Pharisees, they look at it. Israel's not set apart. Israel's being conquered. It's, it's inhabited and it's owned and it's run by Romans. That doesn't express God's special plan in the earth. And so they desired for this dream of, of being special, of being better than everybody else, of being more powerful, of being the one place that is shines like the the city on a hill to quote ronald reagan israel thought that that's what they should be and so paul is longing for that dream to be resurrected that's what they understood resurrection to be they were supposed to be joyful they were supposed to joyfully inhabit the kingdom of god on earth by experience the fullness of god's peace now for that that might word might be a triggering or might mean a lot of things to a lot of different people but for them god's shalom meant a flourishing economy it meant each family owning land and living off its plenty and it meant they were able to enjoy the worship of the one true god at the temple in jerusalem overseen by godly priests under uh, the authority of uncompromised leaders thus enjoying god's resurrected or restored rule but none of this was a reality they lived under the oppressive force of the, of the uh, rule of an occupying force, the pagans. Worse yet, pagans were in charge. And even at the temple, their leaders had compromised themselves and made deals with the Romans to restore or keep their power. And they were, the people were beaten down. They were mistreated. And they faced the hopeless reality of crushing poverty. 
There was this tangled web of power interests that fed a system of oppression that felt worlds away from God's intended order. There was no flourishing like they hoped. Pharisees longed for the fulfillment of God's promises to liberate them, to purify their land, and to restore his gracious reign. And it's against that backdrop that this young man named Saul is escalating through the ranks. And he intended to be a major player in the resurrection story. He was perfectly suited to be involved in the leadership that was coming soon, at least in his mind, in the system that would be established. And this was based upon his behavior, his choices. Even as he says in his defense, this is, listen, I've studied under Gamaliel. I'm, I'm zealous. My behavior and my choices have led me to a place where I should be in a, a person of prominence in this world. But it wasn't just based on his behavior, his social status. Elsewhere in Philippians chapter 3 where he outlays his, his uh, pre-conversion resume, he talks about how he was a Jew of Jews, if you will. Every checkbox that you wanted to be for how you should be uh, an esteemed person in their society, he checked. And he had in, these inherited credentials, this social status. He had these great choices, these great behaviors, this great backdrop. And so he, and now he's known for being a zealous, uh, for zealously going after these people who are continuing the impurity of Israel, these, these people following this new way. You see, for Paul, power was to be accumulated, it was to be celebrated, and it was to be managed. Paul believed that power was something that you should want, and you should use to, when you get it, to better your way. And if you're a good guy like Paul, when you're bettering your way, you're bettering the way of what you believe it should be. But Paul was trying to get Israel to be better or holy or or resurrected to what they were supposed to be by accumulating power so he could make it happen himself. He wanted power so he could make the choices and the decisions. Paul is not an anomaly there. His ideas about power match humanities. Both throughout the course of history and today. Power is used by humans to further their agenda. Paul's just like all of us. You know, we like to be in power. We like to be in charge. We like to be the voice of authority. We like to be looked at and respected. In fact, when we're disrespected, it's one of the most damaging, tarnishing thing we could have in our interpersonal relationships. It's one thing to not be liked, but it's another thing to not be respected. Respect is something that we, we expect when we're in authority. As 
The reality is that humanity has an aggressive, egocentric desire to attain power. We want to be in charge. Inherent in this, in our human nature is uh, this desire to gain power and control. Through, throughout history, imperial pursuits have been accompanied by genocide and slavery and abuse of financial stewardships. Even today, there's, a, there's an abuse of power on a global scale that is evident in our world. There's people with power. There's corporations with power. There's politicians with power. There's church leaders with power. There's lobbyists with power. There's special interest groups with power. The world has been and is littered with people who seek power to the advancement of themselves and to the detriment of those who can be used as pawns or taken advantage of to, to fulfill what the people in power want to make happen. That's not new today. But that's Paul's idea of power. That aligns with Paul's idea of power pre-conversion. And then he meets Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a saying historically, some of you have, have heard this, that absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's attributed to a person named Lord Acton. His maximum may describe some situations, but certainly not all of them. You see, not everyone who has absolute power is absolutely corrupted. The, the, the principal exception to that is Jesus. Jesus was immensely powerful. Let me add to that phrase. Jesus is immensely powerful. And it was Jesus who changed how power should be viewed and how it should be used in our world. You see, Jesus redefined power. Jesus was immensely powerful. Read with me from John chapter 13. Starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival... Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to be with the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, uh, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let's talk about that phrase right now, that first part of that verse for just a second. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. I find it fascinating that John chooses to write this verse in this place right now. Jesus is aware that he is all-powerful. In Matthew, uh, we'll talk about it in, in just a few minutes. Jesus says, the Father has given me all power in heaven and earth. Jesus has all power. And what does he do next? Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, 
He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had wrapped around him. We'll move on to verse 12. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is his, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you see these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, it's in Jesus we can see that power in and of itself is not bad. It's not wrong. It's not evil. Jesus had all power to him. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Matthew 28, 19, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's a lot of people who want to be able to make that statement. I am all powerful. They want to be Darth Vader. We watch the Star, forgive me for my pop culture reverence here, for those of you who aren't Star Wars fans. We want to be, we want to, we want to be Darth Vader. We know he's the bad guy, but he's kind of the best guy. We want power. But we don't really, all too often, when we would want power, we don't want it for the reason that Jesus does. Jesus declares that he's all-powerful, and the next thing he does is get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. Power is given for service, not for accumulation. When Jesus redefines power, he changes the motivating factor behind it. It must be used in the service and in the elevation of those or of others, particularly those with a lower status and or a greater need. So instead of gaining power to lord over people, you gain power so you can raise people up. Jesus redefines a world. Where it's not about what you want. It's about who you love. And so we come to back to Paul. Post-conversion. Paul pursues, instead of a personal pursuit of power, Paul pursues the power of the Holy Spirit. The power Paul was concerned with after that transformational moment was the powerful transformational power of the Holy Spirit that he witnessed change him. He witnessed change the lives of other people and he watches it elevate people. And so he starts to celebrate what Jesus did. He goes on to say, Jesus lowered himself to that of a slave, the lowest societal member in their the worst thing you would want to be. He says, Jesus put him there. And because Jesus chose to be that, God elevated him to all, his name is above all names. And so Paul watches Jesus 
lower himself to the elevation of others and he says, that's what I aspire to. I only want to know Jesus. And I want to be a slave to him. He sought the power that he sought this power to help transformation in people, to better the situation of others, and to help serve other people. And throughout Paul's writings the rest of his life, we see evidences and example after example where he takes people on different levels and he equals them. And he talks to them as equals. And he works to better their lives instead of bettering the pursuit he was after. His pursuit is the betterment of other people. Jesus redefined power. We look, some of us look at power. Those of us who have, who are uh, more in the traditional power stages of life, we look at power as something that can be used. Some of us who have been abused by power, we look at power as a bad thing. Power's not a bad thing. People who use power badly are bad things. But power is not to be accumulated. It's not to be celebrated. It's not to be managed. It's to be used in an effort to make the widows and the orphans not live like widows and orphans. If there's anything that's in, that so drastically changes in Paul's countenance after his meeting of Jesus. It's his understanding of power. Some takeaways today. The desire for personal power is not a character trait of Christ. When he defines that all power has been given to him, in John, he washes people's feet. In, in Matthew, he goes to be with the Father and he leaves them the gift of the Holy Spirit and goes serve the world. Personal, the desire for personal power is not a character trait of Christ. When we celebrate people who pursue a personal pursuit of power, We are not celebrating people who are reflecting the character of Christ in the world. Second, we need to celebrate the opportunity to serve over the privilege of being served. Jesus could have had servants available to him whenever he wanted. In fact, In fact, he's often, multiple times in his life, we see people tempt him with that. Call somebody to help you. If you're the son of God, call somebody to help you. Satan does it in the wilderness. Somebody does it while he's on the cross. Come somebody to help you. He's not interested in being served. He came to serve. And we're to be shining examples of him in our world. And so we need to celebrate the opportunity to serve instead of the privilege of being served. And sometimes serving is dirty. Sometimes the people we have to serve are dirty.
Third, I encourage you to ask this question. Whose kingdom am I trying to build? Am I trying to build mine? Am I trying to build someone's whose character does not reflect the character of Christ? Or am I trying to build God's kingdom? And is my character reflecting the character of Christ? Power is not a bad thing. But when it's used for the betterment of ourselves over the betterment of someone else, or the betterment of one group of people over the betterment of another, when it's used to divide instead of unify, it's not reflecting the character of Christ. Wow, I was wagging my finger there. I don't know that I've ever done that before. You see, the right idea, even when we have the right idea, even when we want to do right, the right idea driven by the wrong motivation is not the right thing when representing the kingdom of God. It makes total sense for Jesus to call the angels from heaven to serve him, to free him from the cross. And to establish an earthly kingdom. We would, that would make sense to all of us. It's, the, it's every movie. The good guy. Get, it's, remember Batman when you were a kid? He's in jail before he gets free and saves the day. It makes sense. Jesus is on the cross. It's hopeless. It's going to end. Oh, but then a miracle happens. And he gets off the cross. And he wipes out everyone and takes power. No. He dies. Because the motivation of why being right, the servant's heart, is the most important. And so you might think, well, if I get power, if I just get this place, this position, then I can take care of those of lesser people. I understand that. Can I just encourage you some something? Start to take care of the people and don't worry about the position. Let that be your focus. <laughs> Jesus, right before he leaves his disciples and goes to heaven, says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And you know what they'll re- the disciples receive when the Holy Spirit comes? Power. But not political power. Not societal power, spirit power, power to be his witnesses and to serve the world. Would you pray with me today? God, I, I'm so challenged by your conviction in my heart that I would pursue your power instead of a position of my own. God, in our church, I pray that we would reflect your character. And as the people in your church, I pray that we would choose to reflect your character in all of our situations. In your name we pray. Amen.
about. <clears throat> We're about to receive communion as we always do at the end of the service. And I've been praying for this week that this will never become just a ritual to end our service. Uh, I've studied, just talked with Jason a lot about the practice of communion in the early church. And communion there was often celebrated as the last part of the service. But then what they did immediately after was to take whatever food they had and they went out into the community and they shared with those who were in need. And I was thinking as Jason was speaking this morning, church doesn't end at 11.30. And I pray that as we celebrate communion this morning that you would look introspectively and ask the Holy Spirit, what can I do to take bread to those who are in need? I'll ask the, uh, those who are serving this morning. Again, we serve an open communion. It is good if you examine your hearts at this moment. But I'll ask you to come forward, and as you come forward and receive the element, you take them back to your seats, and then we will partake together. So come now.
Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking on yourself the judgment that we so rightly deserved. And as we eat this bread, remind us that your once-for-all sacrifice has atoned for our sin and continue to remind us that you are our daily bread. Shall we partake of the bread? that decision in the same way also he took the cup and after supper said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Lord Jesus Christ thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world And as we drink this juice, remind us that it is in your blood that the new covenant is sealed. We remember your death, but we also remember that on the third day you rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, where you are now interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Shall we take a drink of the cup? Receive now the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.